Let's try that again. Good morning. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a question for us this morning, and the question is this. Does God work? Does God work? Yesterday, um, in fact, all week, I've been working at Souter Museum as a historic interpreter. Yesterday, I spent the day in the 1920s barbershop uh, explaining that to people and the new downtown that they're making there. I worked yesterday. Does God work? Well, the answer is yes, God works. Uh, he's been working. He worked in the beginning of time, and he continues to work today. Praise God, right? And uh, God worked when he created the world and everything in it, and he continues to work, the Bible says, holding it all together. In Genesis 2-2, I want you to look at this verse on the PowerPoint this morning. It says, by the seventh day, God completed, say it with me, his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his, say it with me, his work, which he had done. And so, another question might be, why did God rest on the seventh day? Is it because God can get tired? I don't think so. The scriptures teach that our God never gets tired, does he? But God knew that we would get tired, right? He's our creator and maker, and so he did that, I think, as an example for us to follow. God wired us to work maybe five or six days a week, but then we need rest to re be renewed and, and to be strengthened so that we can work another five or six days. You know, it's interesting. The world says, work so you can rest, or work so you can retire and go on a vacation, whereas the Bible says, rest so that you can work, so that you can work. Work is the goal. Work is what God wants us to be doing. But it isn't just God the Father that works. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit also are busy working. They worked in the past, and they continue to work today. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 17. He says, my father is, say it with me, church, working until now, and I myself am what, Jesus says, working. He also said in John uh, 4.34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, and so accomplish, say it with me, his work. And then in John 17.4, we don't have this on the PowerPoint this morning, but Jesus is praying in this chapter. And this is what he prayed. He prayed, I glorified you on earth, Father, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. And we refer to what Jesus did for us on the cross. He died for our sins. Amen? We refer to that as his accomplished work. So Jesus worked diligently while here on earth and According to the scriptures, he continues to work in heaven, seated at the right throne of the Father, interceding for us, and also, the Bible says, preparing a place for us someday in heaven. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it talks about the Holy Spirit. It says that we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the, what? Say it with me sanctifying work of the Spirit. 
And the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is God, meaning God the Holy Spirit, who is at work in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. And so, do you see it? Do you see it in the scriptures this morning? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all diligent workers. All three members of the Trinity are constantly, continually working on our behalf. And God expects us to work. Write it down in your notes. God expects us to work. In fact, write this down also, God created us to work. Now, a lot of people think that work is a result of the fall. Is anybody guilty of that here this morning? That work is a result of the fall of Adam and Eve into sin? That's not true. The curse only made our work a little bit harder. God created Adam and Eve to work. He made them, I believe, with a bent toward gardening. He made them to be the caretakers of the Garden of Eden. We read in Genesis 2.15, look at it, church. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to what? To cultivate it and to keep it. And cultivating and keeping a garden, listen to me, requires work. I've got a garden. I'm good at planting it, but I'm not very good at keeping it up. I trust my wife to do that. I believe you were out hoeing this week, weren't you? Yeah, thank you, dear. Well, God gave Adam and Eve this work to do, to care for the Garden of Eden. Sin caused that work to become more difficult and frustrating, but work is not God's curse on us. Work, are you listening? You may not want to hear this this morning, but work is God's blessing on us. Even if Adam had never sinned, God would have given him work to do. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? And God would have given him work to do because he knows that work ultimately brings blessing, satisfaction, and great joy. Well, knowing this biblical truth, King Solomon teaches us in the book of Proverbs that a wise guy or gal works diligently. And he teaches us this truth by contrasting a slug or a sluggard with an ant. So let's open our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. And look at what God says here about work. He says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways. And you ladies ought to be just right now saying amen because it changed to her. This is interesting in this text. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, you old sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? 
a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of his hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And so in this passage of Scripture, do you see it? God, the Holy Spirit, through King Solomon, the author of Proverbs, warns us first about laziness. He actually gives us seven characteristics of a lazy person throughout the book of Proverbs. Years ago, I I heard a message similar to the one I'm sharing with you this morning. And uh, it was by Charles Swindoll. And I took some notes. And he talked about the characteristics of a lazy man. And I thought I'd share those with you today. Now, I took scratchy notes, okay? And so I can't guarantee what's actually from Pastor Swindoll and what's from Pastor Roger this morning. But this is what my notes said from way back then. Number one, King Solomon says a sluggard or a lazy person can't get started in the morning. Look again at what it says, starting in verse 9. King Solomon says, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. Turn over to chapter 19 with me. There's a similar message there, a similar warning. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 15. Slothfulness, that's another term that King Solomon uses for a lazy person. A sloth moves really slow, doesn't it? Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep. And an idle person will suffer hunger. And so the sluggard loves the snooze button on the alarm. Anybody here love the the snooze button on your alarm? He just can't drag himself out in the morning. He can sleep, let me tell you, until 11 a.m. and not feel a bit guilty. In college, he often misses his first hour class. On the job, he's always late for that first appointment. On Sunday mornings, he often attends the church of St. Mattress. So a lazy person can't get started in the morning. Here's another characteristic. He seldom finishes anything. Turn to Proverbs chapter 12 with me. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 27. Solomon writes, Whoever is slothful or lazy will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. So the lazy man, according to that verse, likes to hunt. That's the fun part, right? But cleaning the game, building the fire, and roasting the meat, that's the tedious part. And it seldom gets done by a lazy person. He's got a lot of good ideas and good intentions. He starts a lot of worthy projects, but seldom finishes anything. Simply because he has trouble persevering when the job gets tedious. Next, he is full of excuses. 
Anybody relating to this this morning? I certainly did this week. Turn to Proverbs 22, verse 13. I believe there's some lazy bones inside me. I'll just own up to it. Proverbs 22, verse 13. It says, the sluggard says, the lazy person says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. The probability of that happening back in Old Testament times is, oh man, it's, it's not too probable at all. There's lions, but they never came to the city. In fact, all the cities back in Bible times were walled for protection. But like that lazy man, we love to make excuses, don't we? We say things like this. It's a jungle out there. I had to quit. My nerves were shot. Or I didn't go in for a week because the pollen count was up and my allergies were killing me. And I didn't want to contaminate anyone at the office. Or how about this one? It's Friday. No one works Friday afternoon. Or how about this one? It's Monday. No one buys anything on Monday morning. Or how about this one? It's time for the NCAA basketball tournament. The whole town shuts down, right? Or it's so cold outside, I was afraid there might be some black ice on the roadway. The traffic is heavy, so heavy at 8.30, I just wait and come in later. Or the weatherman said there was a possibility of heavy thunderstorms and tornadoes, so I stayed at home. On and on it goes, excuse after excuse after excuse. The next Solomon says he seems to get a lot of bad breaks. Turn over to chapter 15 with me. Chapter 15, verse, verse 19. There's that name sluggard again. It says the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright the one that works diligently is a level highway. I think what that verse is saying is uh, a lazy man has a victim's mentality. Nothing seems to go right. Wouldn't you know it? The morning of the interview, my car wouldn't start and I was late for the appointment. Or the, boy, the boss and I didn't hit it off. I knew we were going to clash. Everyone experiences a few bad breaks in life, but, but the lazy person brings it on himself. And he never makes the connection between behavior and consequences. He's forever the victim. He thinks he's unfortunate, but in reality, he's irresponsible. And then number five, he talks a good game. Turn back one chapter, chapter 14, verse 23, and look what it says. It says, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. And so the sluggard is often a big talker. He has learned how to sound impressive, but it's a con game. When it comes to the daily grind of showing up on time, sweating it out, being dependable, he disappears He's holding out, you know, for a higher paying position. Then next, King Solomon says, a lazy person is full of unrealistic dreams. Turn back to chapter 28, verse 19. Chapter 28, verse 19. And it says there, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, 
but whoever follows worthless pursuits or dreams will have plenty of poverty. Now listen, it's great to have big ideas. Solomon, in fact, wrote in the next chapter, chapter 29, these words, where there is no vision, the people perish. I mean, if it weren't for dreams, we wouldn't have the internet or the iPhone today, would we? But the lazy man dreams of easy money without any effort. He dreams unrealistic fantasies. You know, like, I'm going to win the lottery someday. Or I'm going to pick the six winners at the racetrack this week. Or I've learned the secret of speculating on futures. Or I'm going to play in the NBA someday. Or I'm going to be a movie star. His dreams are unrealistic because they're not, they're not preceded by hard work. Proverbs 12:11 says, He who chases fantasies lacks judgment. In other words, they lack common sense. He fails to understand that 99% of dreams don't come true and those that do take a lot of effort to make that dream a reality. Then next, King Solomon says, a lazy person, and this is the last characteristic, gets on people's nerves. Turn to chapter 10, verse 26. This is one of the more humorous verses in the book of Solomon, Proverbs. But in Proverbs chapter, 26, chapter 10, verse 26, it says this. It says, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. What do you think of that verse? Let me just read that again. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Now vinegar leaves a sour taste in the mouth. Have you ever tried it? Smoke burns and irritates the eyes. It probably won't kill you, but it's a source of serious aggravation, honestly. And if you have a goof-off on your team, a shirker in the workplace, everyone knows it, and it irritates those who work hard. It irritates them. And it destroys morale. Listen to this verse from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 9. It says, one who is slack in his work is a brother to the one who destroys. Now, just because we used he in all these verses and she on the next, that doesn't mean this doesn't apply to you ladies this morning, okay? Just want to make, that, make sure you heard that. Uh, all we need to do is turn to Proverbs 31, moms and gals, and that book... That comes at the end of Proverbs, and it's praising who? The virtuous woman who, listen to this, I'm quote, gets up while it's still dark and works with eager hands and sets about her work vigorously. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. There you go. This applies to all of us. Now, I want to summarize these characteristics with hopefully some searching questions this morning. Can I do that? Um, I read this week that a quote, I'll just share it with you. I read an article where this person said, many of us are select sluggards. And I thought about that. That is so right on. I mean, you can be the hardest working person at work and in your career, but be a sluggard, are you listening? 
in some of your other responsibilities and work. Like a man can be, wow, a hardworking guy, a faithful guy, a diligent worker at work, but maybe a terrible husband and father, a sluggard in that realm of his life. Are you with me this morning? We, could, we can be totally dedicated at work and diligent at work, but just be totally lazy in our relationship with God. Where we take no time to develop our relationship with Him by reading His Word and praying daily. We can be a great worker at work, a diligent worker at work, but not too diligent here at church using our spiritual gifts as God has commanded to serve Him and others. And so as I ask these questions this morning, don't limit it to the workplace. Are you with me, church? Answer these questions based on all your responsibilities and jobs in your life. So here's the questions. I think they're on the screen. Do I neglect to plan ahead? Am I willing to get up early? Am I known for being all talk and no action? Do I make flimsy excuses to avoid work? Am I painfully unreliable? And is my life littered with unfulfilled desires? How'd you do? I don't know about you, but I got a bit convicted this week. There are areas of my life where I am plain lazy. And I need to step up. And of all things, become like an ant. That's right, you heard me right. An ant. Because turn back to chapter 6 of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6. What does King Solomon command the sluggard to do? He says to him, go to the ant. O sluggard, O lazy person, consider her ways. And the reason, what is it, the preposition? Is that what a her is, a preposition? Am I right on that? Shake your heads. I am not a grammar nut. So, <laughs> so but it changes here to she. Well, that's primarily because, as we're going to learn in a moment, in an ant colony, it's the ladies that do all the work. You're going to laugh at what the men do, Okay. Because I'm going to tell you. But go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise without even having any chief, officer, or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in a harvest. So what's up about ants? Well, you know what? I'm thankful for the internet. I did a little searching this week and found out 12 fun facts about ants. You ready for them? You're going to know why God chose him, or her, I should say, to make this point. But here are the facts. Number one, I think they're up here. There are more than 12,000 species of ants all over the world. Ranging from the ant you might find scuttling across your picnic table today to ants building underground fortresses in the rainforest. It is estimated that there are one million ants for every one human being. Whoa, that's just overwhelming, isn't it? 
Number two, ants can be found on every single continent except Antarctica. Now, isn't that crazy? The, the, the continent named after an ant she's not found on. I don't figure that one. I can't figure that one out. Number three, ants. Listen to this. Ants can lift from 20 to 50 times their body weight. And so if a second grader was as strong as an ant, she would be able to pick up a car today. Ants have superhuman strength. Number four, ants are the longest living insects. Unlike some bugs, I know some of you are trying to get rid of ants, right? <laughs> Sorry about that. Ants are the longest living insects. Unlike some bugs who live for only days or even hours, the queen ant can live, listen to this, up to 30 years. Those ants you've been trying to get rid of, she's still living somewhere. <laughs> Number five, ants are social insects which live in colonies. And here it is. The colony is made up of one or more egg-laying queen ants, a large contingency of female worker ants who build and maintain the nest, find and store food, and care for the young. And male ants, they mate with the queen. Number six, the largest ant nest ever found was over 37,000 miles wide. I'm not kidding you. It was found in Argentina in the year 2000. Number seven, ants leave a trail when gathering food so that they know where they've been. Number eight, a large colony of ants may excavate 30 to 40,000 pounds of earth in a single summer to make a nest. Number nine, an ant makes as many as four trips a day to a food source which may be 400 feet from the nest. And this is the equivalent of a human walking 68 miles a day. Ants, number 10, have two stomachs, one for their own food and one to share with other ants. Ugh. Number 11, ants often work as a team. This is good to move things. Have you ever seen two ants carrying something? I have. And number 12, ants plan well for the future by storing food. It's kind of a duh. <laughs> That's why God chose the ant to be an example to us who struggle with laziness. So what are the characteristics of a diligent person based on an ant? Well, number one, she works hard. Have you ever seen an ant that isn't busy doing something? They're always on the go. They may be building a nest. They may be looking for food. They may be gathering food. They may be on the move to higher ground if rain is in the air. Yeah, that's what they do. But if you stand and watch them, they're always on the move, doing something towards the preservation of the nest. The point is, they work hard. Do you? Colossians 2, verses 23 and 24 say, whatever you do, work at it heartily, Heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, an ant is self-motivated. Look again at verses six and seven. It says, go to the ant, O slugger. Consider her ways and be wise. 
without, look at this, without having any chief or boss, officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Do you see it? The ant doesn't need constant supervision or a leader in order to get the job done. Each has a job to do. Some, as I showed you earlier, have specialized jobs. They simply get on with it. There is no prompting, no one shouting orders. Each ant, self-motivated. How do you measure up? You know, God has given you a mind, gifts, and talents by which you ought to be able to get the job done this week, whether it's at work or at home or here at church. Now, this doesn't mean we don't need managers and supervisors in industry or business and commerce. Yeah, we need some direction. We need some vision. But we all ought to be more self-motivated in our work. Then number three, she prepares for the future while she can. Look again at verse 8. It says she prepares her bread when, church, in the summer and gathers her food in the winter? No, in harvest. So ants gather food in the months, in the seasons when there is a harvest, when food is available. They lay up food for the months when there is no harvest. Ants don't put off what they should be doing today until tomorrow. They are diligent workers. We need to hear this today. You know, it has been tough times for the farmers, hasn't it? Many of them don't have their crops out. Don't you think a number of farmers that saved up for a moment like this, are glad today? This, this should influence our finances. This truth this morning. And, you know, I'm thinking of my wife's parents, who are both 91, just hardly able to think anymore. I mean, in the rest home, we'll go play a game and in the lobby, and Grandma will look at me, how do I get back to my room? But you know what? Because when they were younger, they stored up God's word in their heart and hymns to the Lord. They remember those. I can go to him right now and say, Dad, what's your favorite Bible verse? And he's going to quote it to me. Even though he can't remember a whole lot of other things. My father-in-law, I'm sure, is thankful when he was younger he planned for ahead. He stored up God's word in his heart. And here's another interesting thing about ants. She works together with others. You know, when you watch ants at work, you see them working together, right, as a group, right? There's hundreds of them, right? That's because they work together to gather up the food. In fact, they don't just make that trail or leave that trail behind them, that scent, for themselves, but for all the other ants once they find that food. 
We can do a whole lot more together than we can alone. And that is so true when it comes to impacting a community like Angola for Jesus Christ. I mean, this is amazing what we're doing next Sunday at the shelter. And I hope you consider attending that picnic. We can do so much for Christ, so much more for Christ together than we can oftentimes alone. And then probably the biggest characteristic here is she doesn't give up. You know, I have over the years been impressed with the persistence and the tenacity of ants, which were trying to build a nest either in my driveway or in the brick foundation or the bricks on my house and, you know, trying to get into the house. And they eventually make it, don't they? But I mean to tell you, I have been at war with ants. Have you ever been at war with ants? You know, you start out with a pest controller. You kill off a hundred of them. You think, yeah. You go out there the next day and what? <laughs> Hundreds of them are back again on a new trail. And so, and so you, you, know, you, you bring out maybe the water, maybe boiling water and throw it on them. Hundreds of them die. Yet you go out the next day and there's still more. And then you bring those, the, you know, you bring the dust out, you know, the ant dust, that yellow powder. And you think, now I got them. I've, and you wipe out a bunch of them, but you know what? They are so persistent. They're back the next day. And eventually, once you know it, some of them make it into the house. They never, ever give up, do they? Reminds me of Galatians 6.9. Are you guys familiar with this verse? Galatians 6.9 says, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let me just read that to us again. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Any of you read the book, The Fred Factor, written by Mark Saborn, Sanborn? Well, let me tell you a story out of that. This is, the book is named after this guy. Uh, Fred was his mailman. And uh, he had just moved to Denver, Colorado. Mark Saburn is a, is a, he's a professional speaker. I don't know how else to describe him. Uh, he, he speaks all over the country, maybe 100, 150 times a year. Single guy. And he had just moved to Denver, Colorado, kind of wanting to be in the middle of the United States and bought a home in an old neighborhood. And lo and behold, after he had moved in, just days after he'd moved in, Fred shows up, his mailman. Introduced himself. Hi, my name is Fred. And he said he didn't look like much, but boy, this guy was friendly. And he, he said, well, tell me a little bit about you and what you do. And so he tells him, well, I'm a professional speaker. And he says, I bet you travel that, yeah, 100, 100 to 150 times a year. I'm out of town. Yeah. He says, well, I'll tell you what. You give me your schedule and I'll... I'll uh, I'll take care of that. I'll, I'll bundle up your mail. He said, Mark goes, no, 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 no. You can just put it in my box. That'll be fine. Well, he says, you better beware. He says, if that box gets too full, if you're gone for a couple weeks and it starts to run over, thieves are going to see that and they're going to break in your house. And he goes, hmm. <laughs> so he says, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you don't want me to bundle it up, I'll, I'll fill up your, your mailbox till it's full. The lid can close. And then I'll put the rest between your front door and your screen door. And if it gets over that, if it fills that area up and it can't be seen, I'll bundle the rest up and bring it to you when you return home. So he wants this guy's schedule and everything. I mean, Fred is amazing. 
And so he goes on this trip, this speaking trip, and he's gone for a couple weeks, and he returns home, and sure enough, mail, the mailbox is full, but not the lid's not open, and there's mail in the between the front door and the screen door, and then he wonders, where is the doormat? Where's the doormat? And he looks around, and there it is over there, and it looks like it's covering something. And there's a note over there. There's a package from UPS with a note on it, and it's from Fred the Mailman. He says, I found this six doors down. The UPS guy uh, delivered it to the wrong house, so I brought it to your house and thought I'd cover it up so nobody'd steal it. And this is what Mark says about Fred. He says, Fred was more worried about my mail than I was. And he also says, I want to get this quote right here. Well, this is what he says. He says, not only was Fred delivering mail, he was now picking up slack for the UPS. Fred is someone who works diligently, just like an ant does. He worked with passion, excellence, and integrity. He saw delivering mail, listen to me, as God's calling on his life. And he worked hard. He was self-motivated. He prepared for the future. He worked in community, and he didn't give up. Can that be said of us today? Are you and I diligent workers in the workplace, at our homes, in our relationship with God, and here at church? Are you a diligent worker or a lazy worker? Where do you need to grow this week? Where do you need to grow and change? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your creation. Thank you for the wonder of your creation. And there are lessons there. Lessons in the sluggard. Lessons in the ant. And part of the reason you created these amazing little creatures, the ant is to teach us to be diligent. Diligent in the workplace. Diligent in our personal, spiritual life with you, Lord. More diligent in our families and in our marriages. And more diligent in our ministry here at church. God, forgive us for being sluggards for being lazy at times. That's a sin. And we confess it to you this morning. Forgive us, Lord. And thank you that you will. But God, make us diligent workers this week. In our workplace, in our career, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and here at church and especially in our relationship with you. Just work this quality of diligence, Lord, into our lives through the help of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said.